Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. I am your host Jim Grant, you're listening to Bexhill Hill Radio. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be looking at hundreds of arrested on a crime chat network that the police cracked, hydroxychloroquine that Trump recommended may be very useful after all, more than 90 coronavirus laws imposed without parliamentary scrutiny, court cases pending to question that, Iron levels in the blood could be the key to slowing down ageing. Iran issues an arrest warrant for Trump for the Soleimani killing. General Flynn case dismissed in the United States. Quantum's scale of science in quantum mechanics. TikTok might be snooping on its users and much, much more here on Beyond the News. Let's get cracking on to our first article here today. It is from... The BBC and the headline reads, Hundreds arrested as crime chat network cracked. This is by Danny Shaw and it's from the 2nd of this month, the 2nd of July. This is being recorded on the 24th of July. The top secret communication system used by criminals to trade drugs and guns has been successfully penetrated, says the National Crime Agency. The NCA worked with forces across Europe on the UK's biggest and most significant law enforcement operation. Major crime figures were among over 800 Europe-wide arrests after messages on EncroChat were intercepted and decoded. More than two tonnes of drugs, several dozen guns and 54 million in suspect cash have been seized, says the NCA. I wonder what that cash was doing to behave so suspiciously. So there you go. Whenever people say, oh, this encrypted network, no one can get into it, this, that and the other. Not always entirely true, uh, either on whatever format that it's in. Yep, no matter what format it is in, WhatsApp, Telegram or anything like that, if some government or agency wants to crack it, sooner or later, I have a feeling that they will. Our next article here today is from Fox Business. Audrey Conklin, hydroxychloroquine helps coronavirus patients recover, new study shows. This is from July the 3rd. Patients treated with drug had 13% mortality rate. Those not treated with the drug had 36% mortality rate. So what's that? Just under uh, three times the percentage So I wonder if the NHS is using this. I honestly don't know. They might be, they might not be. If there's any doctors listening to the show that would like to say whether, obviously you can't say uh, anyone's private medical records or anything like that, but if anyone is uh, lawfully able to let us know, does this broadcast in some way, let Bexhill Online know whether it's being used in a general capacity, I'd be very interested to know that. Coronavirus patients treated with hydroxychloroquine, in brackets HCQ, as well as a combination of the malaria drug with an antibiotic, had higher survival rates than those who were not treated with the drug, a new study has found. So important to point out that that is in combination with the malaria drug as well. Researchers at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit saw a significant reduction in mortality rates with patients who were hospitalised between March the 10th and made the second, and treated with the drug compared to those who were not. Hydroxychloroquine has been a topic of controversy since President Trump touted its effectiveness as early as March. The President also said he had been taking the drug. So there you go, he might not be as dumb as our mainstream media and the American mainstream media would like to portray. Not that I uh, agree with everything that he does, I am a political atheist, and I buy into no cults of personality whatsoever. I look at each action each politician does on its own merits and flaws, in case you've missed either of the first two podcasts that I've done here. The results of this study demonstrate that in a strictly monitored, protocol-driven in-hospital setting, treated with hydroxychloroquine alone, and hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, that I presume is the... uh, the anti-malaria drug that I've probably butchered the name of, was associated with a significant reduction in mortality among patients hospitalised with COVID-19. Researchers wrote in the study published July the 1st in the International Journal 
of infectious diseases. So again, I'd wonder how much of that is being used in the NHS, what with our many uh, thousands of deaths we've had in this country. Important to look at the science, we're told. Well, there's some science right there from the Journal of Infectious Diseases. I wonder if it's being taken on board. Genuine question, it may well have been. Our next article, still on the old uh, COVID thing, but we won't be covering all of that for this entire podcast. It gets a little bit samey, doesn't it? This is from The Telegraph. It's by Harry York, 17th of June. More than 90 coronavirus laws and rules imposed without parliamentary scrutiny. Ministers accused of governing by fiat, that's not the car, by rushing through sweeping changes to the law without proper scrutiny. So that's an interesting one. I think they did that um, to begin with the old Covid early March laws, didn't they? Um, so I don't know whether that's implying whether they weren't done correctly or whether this has been a new set of laws piggybacked onto that, that they've just gone, oh, we didn't put it in the bill the first time, so uh, you don't mind if we just tag these on? Yeah, they're law now. Who knows? I honestly don't know. So that's all I do here. I am a news repeater monkey. I pick out the articles of the news from around the world, always from mainstream news sources here, and uh, let you decide for yourself. Our next article here, this is by RT. This is uh, a week old. This is the 16th of July. Iron levels in the blood could be key to slowing down ageing. New major genetic study finds. Using genetic data from over a million people, so that's a good sample size right there, isn't it? Researchers have found that just 10 regions of the genome responsible for metabolising iron in the blood could be the key to longer, healthier lives. The International Ageing Study, carried out by scientists from the University of Edinburgh, that's I, I do hope they, they didn't take into account any of the comedians going up there for the Edinburgh Festival for their million sample. I think their, uh, their lifestyle choices may not be the best to uh, take on board when it comes to figuring out health and other such things. That might be what we call a biased sample, I suppose. I say that knowing full well that that's the industry that I'm in. Many takeaways up and down the M1, 3am getting in. Not the most healthiest of uh, lifestyles, mentally or sometimes physically, uh, or I should have said physically, sometimes mentally as well. There's a lot of people in the industry that are uh, a little bit uh, strange, shall we say. I probably put myself among them. But going back to the article, so from the University of Edinburgh, and the Max Planck Institute for Biology of Ageing in Germany focused on three measures of ageing. Lifespan, years of life lived disease-free, or health span, and the nature of being extremely long-lived longevity. The researchers found that maintaining healthy levels of iron in the blood are Goldilocks' sweet spot of not too much and not too little could be a key to a longer, healthier life. Each Dream of blood iron levels is correlated with conditions such as Parkinson's and liver disease. The data set contained the equivalent of 1.75 million lifespans or more than 60,000 extremely long-lived people and genes linked to iron metabolism were overrepresented in an analysis of all the three measures of ageing. To make absolutely sure, the researchers used a statistical methodology known as Mendeleyan. I think I pronounced that right, and no, I'm not referring to the new Star Wars miniseries on Disney+. Randomization to confirm their findings, and indeed, the genes behind metabolization of iron seem to play a role in a healthier, longer, and disease-free lives. The findings could accelerate development of anti-aging drugs and medicines to fight age-related diseases such as heart disease, dementia and cancers, thus extending healthy years of life and improving their overall quality. Now, as you've probably gathered, I have no medical qualifications whatsoever, but you probably figured that out by the fact that I probably mispronounced a variety of words on this page already. But my 
opening salvo of thoughts on that article would be it's just about iron isn't it so could accelerate development of anti-aging drugs well didn't they just say there was a sweet spot of iron so why do you need to mix anything else it, that, that science hasn't showed that it's iron with a b c or d is it or anything else that the pharmaceutical companies have made it's gone right this is what the iron level you want to eat you know you want to eat these foods or take these supplements to either reduce it or bring it up to snuff surely no pun intended do, do you know what i mean and if anyone could say oh drugs could do that well i don't know you get a lot of problems with other things added to the body potentially so why not just quite simply have an iron reading this is what the study did is your iron in the right place? Right, up, oh, no, there you go, out the door, thank you very much. No need to add all these fillers and other such um, things with it, is there? But of course that's the way pharmaceutical companies do it because I would have thought that iron is non-patentable. Do you see where I'm going with that? There's a, there's a motive right there to be able to add all this sort of, you know, palaver because they can't patent it otherwise, but really it's just about the iron from what we see isn't it continuing we are very excited by these findings as they strongly suggest that high levels of iron in the blood reduces our healthy years of life and keeping these levels in check could prevent age-related damage dr paul timmers from the usher institute of the university of Edinburgh said of the research adding that the findings might help explain the link between high consumption of red meat and age-related illnesses like heart disease so, moving on to our next article there. This is from The Guardian, Owen Bocott, the legal affairs correspondent, Thursday the 2nd of July. We mentioned earlier about the laws being brought in without parliamentary scrutiny. Well, a high court hears legal challenge to England's lockdown restrictions, the most sweeping restrictions since Second World War breach human rights, a court is told. The government's lockdown, which has closed schools, premises and companies while limiting free movement, is the most sweeping and far-reaching restriction on fundamental rights since the Second World War, the High Court has been told. In a challenge to the legality of emergency legislation, the businessman Simon Dolan whose Jota Aviation Company has been delivering personal protective equipment to the NHS, is testing the full extent of the powers under which England has been confined for the past 101 days. Again, this was written on the 2nd of July, and I'm recording this on the 24th of July. The hearing is taking place via video link due to the coronavirus crisis, with lawyers participating remotely from their homes or chambers. Lawyers for Dolan argue that the emergency restrictions announced by the Prime Minister on the 23rd of March, unless of course you're Matt Hancock, who uh, <laughs> there was an article the other day, wasn't it? I remember I read it out on my cruise podcast where he said uh, the lockdown began on the 16th of March. Uh, so, and, and he made a statement to say it truly began on this, that and the other. And as people accused him of rewriting history. You know, why not? We, we see that the uh, stats are... <laughs> I don't think anyone believes the stats, do they? They're, half the England believes the stats are much higher, and the other half of England believes they're much lower. Uh, much higher because they think the government is trying to uh, protect themselves, and much lower because they think that all the other COVID, you know, dying from and with are two different things, and they're counting it, you know, anyone that's come in with a, with a COVID virus. That's another thing about those tests. Does it distinguish between that and the normal coronavirus, i.e. a common cold? There's so much. I'm going to have to do a whole special on that, I think. I did, um, my last special I did was the whole, the whole Jeffrey Epstein, just laying Maxwell connection thing. Uh, that got well received. I think I'm going to have to do another, another special on that. Oh, I'm uh, about to pause that because I think a video is going to play and we certainly don't want that. I don't know how we would stand on copyright on that. But, yeah, I was talking about the tests, wasn't I? This whole thing is a, a statistical nightmare and highly inaccurate, in my opinion. And there's a lot of articles that have been coming out over the last week or so that I've covered on my cruise podcast that really cast doubt into those numbers <laughs> on both sides of the spectrum, really. So, and uh, of course, people, we've got people suing the government for putting COVID 
patient, known COVID patients into care homes and stuff. And of course, it, what do you think happens there? Uh, so the, rel the relatives of uh, the people that died as a result of that now suing the government. This thing has been a, a farce from beginning to end, in my opinion. Now, that doesn't mean to say that I fall into the category of me thinking that this is a hoax. But I do think the uh, response has been blown all out of proportion. I think the virus is real. I think it was came out of the lab in Wuhan. Um, I'm open-minded to accidental or on purpose, and I've gone into reasons on Beyond the News before why you may want to do that on purpose. I don't know about that, but I do think this is a man-made virus that is real, highly communicable, but nowhere near as deadly as we're told. And now the stats would suggest, I think, uh, something like a 99.7% survival rate under the age of 70, I think, something along those lines. So that's my, if in case you're wondering, my own uh, opinion on that. I would uh, I would argue we're here with uh, Mr Dolan to say that the response is out of proportion and uh, unnecessary. So uh, lawyers for Dolan argue that the emergency restrictions announced by the Prime Minister on 23rd of March are illegal, breach human rights laws and fail to take account of other significant factors. Yeah, well, I would go along with most of that. I would have, however, brought in the international lockdown, i.e. closed the airports a lot earlier. I would have done that. I would have done um, an external lockdown, so close the borders, and I wouldn't have done an internal lockdown. That's I would have gone the Swedish model with a, uh, a border control not even letting people into the country. Uh, as of around January, and I, yeah, believe I've, I'm on record of saying that as well. So, in written submissions to the High Court, lawyers for Dolan said the almost unbelievably complicated and arbitrary guidelines from the government, not adequately reflected in the regulations, are symptomatic of a government that is seeking to impose a degree of control and micromanagement over the lives of its citizens that it is wholly incompatible with human rights law and that it is not proportionate to the harm that the rules are designed to combat. Hear, hear. Uh, that's what I would say as well. You've got to look at the amount of suicides, uh, the mental health issues, the bankruptcies and the homelessness that you're going to get from that, the businesses going under, um, potential risks to people's health from staying indoors and not getting sunlight even just down to stuff like that there are going to be a lot of people in this country who don't have a garden who didn't have access to the lovely weather that we had over lockdown so all these things are in should be considered in in my opinion but i think it's time to move on to another article now our next article is from the independent again the 2nd of july the headline reads Dozens of shifts at coronavirus mega lab cancelled and staff paid to stay away, whistleblower reveals. This is by Sean Lintern. Dozens of shifts at one of the government's coronavirus mega labs have been cancelled and staff paid to stay away because of the lack of test samples, a whistleblower has revealed. A member of staff at Alderley Park Lighthouse Laboratory has shared a trance of emails sent from lab bosses to staff during May and June with The Independent. They show more than 40 separate shifts at the labs were cancelled in the past two months, often with just a day's notice or less. Jeremy Hunt, a former health secretary and chair of the Commons Health Select Committee, said he thought it was extraordinary that the labs were not being fully utilised. There have been widespread calls to increase testing and earlier this week the chief executive of NHS England, Sir Simon Stevens, told MPs he wanted to see a significant further increase in testing capacity. Uh, now, just a quick little thought from me on that. Whenever you increase testing you're going to increase number of cases. So remember that if you suddenly see a spike in cases, has there been a spike in testing? Another thought, just because you get a spike in cases, what's the death rate like? Because if it turns out that you have a load more cases, but no more deaths, that means the death rate will be even lower. My third thought on that is, 
do these tests distinguish between normal coronavirus, which is a common cold, and COVID-19? If not, the test will be more or less useless uh, because we've I've covered on previous things that I've done how the test for a goat and a fruit in Tanzania tested positive. There have been fishermen that have gone out. Uh, what I'm trying to say is there is a lot of strange things going on with this testing and I'm not actually sure I've tried to do research on this. I'm not actually sure whether these tests are picking up the differences between viruses. Do they, does it test? There's the whole um, antibody case. I tested, uh, covered that on my crew podcast this week. Is it testing between those that have had a cold? Not even does it test between what type of cold you've got, but it can't. Some the tests pick up whether you've even had a cold in the last few years or something like the antibodies test. These whole testing things are, from what I can see, an absolute farce. 3rd of July. Almost 30,000 excess care homes deaths. Almost 30,000 more care home residents in England and Wales died during the coronavirus outbreak than during the same period in 2019, ONS figures show. But only two-thirds were directly attributable to COVID-19. The Office for National Statistics figures are the first to reveal the full toll on care homes, including deaths that happened in hospital. Care homes in England will carry out routine testing for Monday. There were just over 66,000 deaths of care home residents in England and Wales between the 2nd of March and 12th of June this year, compared to just under 37,000 deaths last year. Well, that is going to happen if you put known covid patients i mean we're talking the ones that you know are coughing and dying so be it as it may who knows what's going on with the tests are they really ill and do they die right those kinds of ones they have been put into care homes and there are lawsuits being filed about that i've covered that on some of my other podcasts so uh, some some no uh, yeah these people filing the lawsuits, any lawyer worth their salt, you know, I don't think they're allowed to go, oh, we'll just take the money. I bet I don't think they're allowed to do the old better course all routine and go, oh, they'll never win, but we'll take their money anyway. Oh, did you lose? Oh, what a shame. Especially for something like this where you're going up against government. You want to be watertight, don't you? So these lawyers would not be taking on these lawsuits if they honestly didn't think they could win, in my opinion. Um, or you might see me on a podcast in a couple of years' time going, hey, you remember those court cases? Well, guess what? People are suing the lawyers because they shouldn't have won in the first place, but they took the case and the money. But who knows? Right now, I don't think those lawyers would have taken those cases if they didn't think there was a case for the government to answer. So there's so much about this virus that we don't know in terms of testing and therefore death rate and the spread of it and government incompetence. And there was then you go down the road of was it incompetence? But of course, you know, we read that thing before about a government looking to control its citizens. That's a lawyer saying that to the high court, isn't it? That's not me. I was just repeating it. So what would you do if you were a government that wanted to control your own citizens? Well, you'd need fear. What's the best way to have fear? Death. What's the best way to have death? Well, <laughs> shove a known COVID patient into the population that's most likely to die from it. That'll do the job, wouldn't it? And I think that's that might be behind some of the people's beliefs on these lawsuits, but I can't speak for them, can I? I would love to get them an interview on this show. I'll try and do that at some point once we figure out the tech of how to um, get interviews done from a distance and all such things like that. We'll see what we can come up with here at Bexhill Online for you. Another knock-on effect. This is from the Metro. National Theatre axes 400 jobs as pandemic wreaks havoc on the arts industry. This is by Emma Brazil. 400 casual staff members at the National Theatre have lost their jobs as the coronavirus crisis continues to wreak havoc on the arts industry. The employees, 200 who work front of house and 150 on backstage teams, were told they will, would not be paid until the end of August in an email sent on Friday morning. Now, what's going to happen to those people's rents and mortgage payments and council tax and bills and other such things? There has to be 
a greater knock-on effect economically than the one we've seen already and if it is to do with production companies as well uh, I mean, production companies I mean manufacturers people that produce things is there going to be a supply shortage for these things there's a whole knock-on effect at the food industry the food supply we have yet to see the full impact of the lockdown in my opinion in terms of its long-term detrimental effects was it worth it given that I think half the deaths in this country were in those care homes I don't know it might be it might not be I don't have the answers but I think it is a reasonable question to ask and that's what we do here on Beyond the News uh, my way of sort of weaseling out of answering the questions but I do think it is important to ask questions and I think it is incredibly important the cornerstone of any true free fair and democratic society to have the right to ask those questions I've lost all trust in medical research. The financial muscle of Big Pharma has been busy distorting science during the pandemic. No, that's not me going on another rant. That's the headline from our next article from RT. It's by Malcolm Kendrick, a doctor and author who works as a GP in the National Health Service in England. His blog can be read here in his book Doctoring Data, How to Sort Out Medical Advice for Medical Nonsense is also available. There's a link on that article. Speaking of all the articles, I will do a post with all the articles from this on my Beyond the News Facebook page. So Facebook Beyond the News. You'll see a picture of my ugly mug on the top there. But this is a radio show, so you probably have no idea what I look like anyway so that won't be of any use to you trying to find it but those of you that have ever had the misfortune of seeing me live doing the comedy or see me on the cruise podcast that's available on the cruise Facebook page or uh, the YouTube channel will be able to recognize me there evidence that a cheap over-the-counter anti-malarial drug costing seven pound combats COVID-19 gets trashed why? Because the pharmaceutical giants want to sell you a treatment costing nearly £2,000. It's criminal. There you go. That's not me saying that. That is a GP from England. Oh, he's, he's someone I'd love to get on the show as well. A few years ago, I wrote a book. Of course, I'm reading the article here. I wrote a book called Indoctoring Data. You all know I wouldn't be capable of writing a book, let alone one on doctoring. A few years ago I wrote a book called Doctoring Data. This was an attempt to help people understand the background to the tidal wave of medical information that crashes over us each and every day. Information that is often completely contradictory. V. Coffee is good for you. No wait, it's bad for you. No wait, it's good for you. Again, repeated ad nauseum. I also pointed out some of the tricks, games and manipulations that are used to make medications seem far more effective than they truly are, or vice versa. This, I have to say, can be a very dispiriting world to enter. When I give talks on this subject, I often start with a few quotes. And before I give those quotes, yeah, it can be a little bit... I don't want anyone to get down listening to this uh, podcast because the, this is the only way that you really change things. So look upon as it... Look upon realising the negative as the first step in the opportunistic path to making things better. That's how I like to think of it. For example, here is Dr Marcia Angel, who edited the New England Journey of Medicine for over 20 years, writing in 2009, it is simply no longer possible to believe that much of the clinical research that is published or to rely on in the judgment of trusted physicians or authoritative medical guidelines. I take no pleasure in this conclusion, which I have reached slowly and reluctantly over my two decades as editor. What she's trying to say here, folks, is pharmaceutical companies may have a greater interest in creating customers than cures. They may have a greater interest in their shareholder profit margins 
than your actual health. They may have an interest in employing PR companies and advertising campaigns to try and convince you of the opposite. The people who carry these ad campaigns, such as television networks, may have an interest in not bringing you the truth, i.e. if you've got a news broadcaster and in their middle of their broadcasts they have adverts and some of those adverts are for medicines or banks who may have shareholdings in those medicines, do you think there may be a slight financial pressure for them to put certain news articles to the bottom of the pile or perhaps not read out at all completely. We've seen, this is why in, in my opinion, we've seen a massive rise in the distrust of pharmaceutical companies. Also, at the same time, a massive distrust in the mainstream media. I think those two things are linked. And hell, that's why I've ended up doing podcasts like this. That's what got me to doing Beyond the News all those years ago for Radio Lewis. So I have very fond memories of, of that uh, that station there. I do hope they're still going. And I do wish everyone at that station well. But that's why I started doing these broadcasts. Because the mainstream news will put out things like this. But it's never on the TV. It's rarely even in the printed publications. But they are put out online. And over the last 10 years... There have been people more and more sharing these articles from mainstream news sources online. And it's weird. You can actually see the, the television giving a 180 to what the news reported online is. And when I'm talking news reported online, I'm not talking tinfoil hat Bob swears blindly that this is the truth, Governor. Honest. It's sources like RT. It's sources like the BBC. It's sources like The Independent, The Telegraph, Fox, CNBC, MSNBC. All these sources across the world online are often putting things out contradictory to what, should any of them have television networks as well, are saying there. It, it's why I do these podcasts. Have things got better? I'm continuing now the article. No, I believe they've got worse. If that were indeed possible... I was recently sent the following email about a closed-door, no-recording-allowed discussion held in May of this year under no-disclosure Chatham House rules. A secretly recorded meeting between the editors-in-chief of The Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine revealed both men bemoaning the criminal influence Big Pharma has on scientific research. Now, remember what I was talking about in those earlier articles? about the iron according to Philippe Deust Blasey and hell for, for that matter the opening article about hydroxychloroquine that was lamb so he wasn't that lambasted all over the news as well do you see the connections going on here I hope you do and I hope that's one of the reasons why you listen to podcasts like these I can categorically say and I'm sure you've figured out by now that no pharmaceutical company is going to be sponsoring this podcast and I like it that way. According to Philippe Doust-Blasey, France's former health minister and 2017 candidate for the WHO director, that's the World Health Organization, the leaked 2020 Chatham House closed-door discussion was between the editor-in-chiefs whose publications both retracted papers favourable to Big Pharma over fraudulent data. <coughs> yeah, these people are going to uh, jab you with a... Uh, a vaccine that they've rushed through, don't worry, that'll be fine. The email continued with a quote from that recording. Of course, if it isn't fine, then you're just going to make more money for these same companies, isn't it? <laughs> what a coincidence. The email continued with a quote from that recording. Now we are not going to be able to publish any more clinical research data because the pharmaceutical companies are so financially powerful today and are able to use such methodologies as to have accept, have to as to have us accept papers which are apparently methodod... I will do this. <laughs> which are apparently methodol... Right, you can read the article for yourself. But which in reality manage to conclude what they want them to conclude, said the Lancet's editor-in-chief, Richard Horton. So just as 
they are butchering the data I have butchered reading out that that uh, word I'm going to try it for the third time methodologically hey there you go apparently methodologically perfect basically they're saying they're full of you know what a YouTube video where this issue is discussed can be found here uh, again you know click on the link for that it's in French but there are English subtitles the New England Journey Journal of Medicine <laughs> oh it's all gone to pear shape now isn't it? the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet are the two most influential most highly resourced medical journals in the world if they no longer have the ability to detect what is essentially fraudulent research then what then what indeed interesting that they use that word fraudulent research because that would have connotations in terms of potential court hearings in the next decade won't they if people really want to kick up a fuss so it would be like a deck of cards at the moment it's almost like um an emperor has no clothes we're right we're right we're the experts we're the experts no 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 questioning we're right we're right we're right and all the time their foundation of being taken away from them saying actually you're not here's why and here's who's funding you to say it this will come down like a pack of cards sooner or later all institutional lies and organized crime which is what if that i'm you know i'm using the word fraudulent here because this is what the rt people have said if that is the correct word and it's fraudulent then you are looking at a crime and if you've got a number of people in it it's organized crime and if you're profiting from it and looking to cover it up it's a conspiracy isn't it there's no theory there there's no conspiracy theory on this show i'm just putting the numbers together and seeing which way is the wind blowing we could see some very interesting times over the next 10 years if this is to be correct in fact things have generally i'm continuing now have generally taken a sharp turn for the worse since the covid 19 pandemic struck new studies new data new information is arriving at breakneck speed often with little or no effective review what can you believe who can you believe almost nothing will be the safest course of action once one issue has played out over the past few months stripping away any vestiges of any trust in medical research it concerns the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine you may well be aware that donald trump endorsed it which presents a whole series of problems for many people again you know it's it's sad really that um i don't care if you hate trump but you shouldn't let anyone's like or dislike get in the way of the truth a broken clock is right twice a day for example so look at things in their own merits and i'm sure if you're still listening to the podcast at this point that you're a critical thinker capable of doing that because most people who see it, it's a thing with people isn't it once they get into a um a hating virtue signaling style hate mob that you see in these uh, little nests of online vipers on social media like facebook and things like that the ego gets involved doesn't it imagine slagging someone off for three years and then you jump on the bandwagon oh look at him he thinks he knows more than the doctors well of course we now know that the doctors may have other influences from pharmaceutical companies playing he knows more than the doctor what an idiot what a moron what a moron, what a moron. imagine the blow to your ego when someone confronts you with something like this oh i was the idiot no one wants to say that so it's easier to either ignore it or to double down and go yeah they're just trump fans they hate the fact that he's an idiot it cannot go on continuing this way with a major population continuing to deny reality based on ego-driven assumptions that you've jumped on this camp this is good science investigates and constantly questions itself the ego does not question itself the ego by its own definition is well it can't it can't you require humility to question yourself ego doesn't have that and there is many times that ego can be a good thing but it can be a double-edged sword so i that's what i see when you see when you politicize science when you politicize reality you are denying yourself should you have the inability to be humble 
and question yourself, you are denying yourself a version of reality that could be very favourable to yourself and the whole human race. And it's social media that's really, and there's always been egos, but it's social media that's really brought that to the forefront in the last 10 years, especially with a polarising character like Trump. And he's done some things I hate as well. So, But let's get away from this ego-driven bandwagon jumping on. Let's go, all right, I really don't care about it one way or the other. You know, this idea that we've got to somehow football team our politicians and causes, it doesn't do anyone any good. It's not science. Science constantly changes. The data constantly changes. The reality of that data and the conclusions it's drawing constantly changes. Therefore, we must have the ability to constantly change our opinions that fit the data that constantly come into us. That's my own opinion. I think that's the, the main crux of what I'm trying to get at here. But, uh, of course, continuing. However, before the pandemic hit, I was recommending to my local NHS trust that we should stop, look to stock up on hydroxychloroquine. There had been a great deal of research over the years strongly suggesting it could inhibit the entry of viruses into cells and that it also interfered with viral replication once inside the cell. Oh, by the way, I'm not, you know, using my own logic here of constantly questioning things. This may well have this hydroxychloroquine that may be so effective against COVID-19 may well have other side effects that in two months time we'll find out about. And you, I won't be the person that in two months' time doesn't read out that podcast. I'll, I will say that. I will say, hey, look, this is the sort of thing that I read it out because we had experts questioning its use and we had reasons why it's questioning its use, i.e. it's cheaper, so the pharmaceuticals companies don't want it, and all the Trump haters don't want Trump to be right. So there's two reasons there why it might have been ignored. But we now know in two months' time there's some side effects as well. So maybe it isn't the best course of it. I'll be the first to say that because I don't get egotistically attached to anything that I say. The data coming into my brain constantly changes. Therefore, the conclusion my brain reaches constantly changes. I don't get stuck in any one school of thought. And I think it's a bad idea to do that. The mechanism of action explains why it can stop the malaria parasite from gaining entry into the red blood cells. The science is complex, but many researchers felt there was good reason for thinking hydroxychloroquine may have some real, if not earth-shattering, benefits in COVID-19. This idea was further reinforced by the knowledge that it has some effects on reducing the so-called cytokine storm that is considered deadly with COVID-19. It's prescribed in rheumatoid arthritis to reduce the immune attack on joints. The other reason for recommending hydroxychloroquine is that it's extremely safe. It is, for example, the most widely prescribed drug in India. Billions upon billions of doses have been prescribed. It is available over the counter in most countries, so I felt pretty comfortable and recommended that it could be tried. At worst, no harm would be done. Then hydroxychloroquine became the centre of a worldwide storm. On one side, wearing the white hats, where the researchers who used it early on, where it seemed to show significant benefits. For example, Professor Didier Rayol, whose name I'm sure I butchered. And bear with me here, of the Institute Hospitalia, buggered it already, of the Institute Hospitalo Universitaire Mediterranean infection in France, basically some hospital in France. A renowned research professor in France has reported successful results from a new treatment for COVID-19, with early tests suggesting it can stop the virus from being contagious in just six days. Then came the research from a Moroccan scientist at the University of Lille. Gerard Zemouri believes that 78% of Europe's COVID-19 deaths could have been prevented if Europe had used hydroxychloroquine Morocco. With a population of 36 million, roughly one-tenth that of the US has only 10,000 confirmed cases and only 214 deaths. Uh, Professor Zemouri believes that Morocco's use of hydroxychloroquine has resulted 
in an 82.5% recovery rate from COVID-19 and only a 2.1% fatality rate in those admitted to hospital. So bearing in mind that doesn't represent a 2.1% fatality rate because all the ones that are admitted to hospital were the bad ones, the really bad ones, you would have thought. So the, the people admitted to hospital are going to have, you would have thought, a higher fatality rate because they're the only ones that had the symptoms bad in the first place enough to go to hospital. So what a hospital fatality rate and the overall case fatality rate are different things. So I think I'll bring up another article now. I think you've got the idea that uh, people now are questioning the medical people they're questioning the pharmaceutical companies, they're questioning the politicians, and all three of those groups seem to be questioning each other. It is as no surprise to read this article from The Telegraph. Anti-vax influence means up to half may not take coronavirus vaccine. New polls in the US, Germany and the Czech Republic, among others, found that 50% were sceptical. Put me in that 50%, I'm not taking it by Jennifer Wrigley. I'll, I'll take my chance with the 99.7% uh, success rate. Thank you. I'll, uh, I'll, you know, I'm 41. I fancy my charges to be okay there, rather than take some uh, vaccine that there's been no cure for the common cold for the last um, entire history of humanity. So uh, let's uh, rush it through very speedily in the last six months. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, in, an all, in, a, um, in an industry that plans to profit massively from it. I do believe they have immunity from prosecution in uh, a lot of countries as well. That, that, what a great idea. So they've got carte blanche to make money with no financial loss on an all industry that we've already described by its own doctors as, uh, shall we say, <laughs> a little bit naughty. <laughs> That's my phrase. The other people said, you know, fraudulent, didn't they? So, um, yeah, I'm all right. I'll, uh, I'll keep, uh, I, I eat organic food. I'll keep my blood organic, thank you. Uh, but again, you know, if the science changes, we should have a look. But right now, I'm not exactly smitten with the idea. Now, a couple of weeks ago here in England, sunny old England, or at least it is in the last few months, where it's been lovely, isn't it? Uh, I live down here in Eastbourne. It's been uh, a beautiful, beautiful summer so far. You can always tell in April, in my opinion. April... So goes April, so goes the rest of the summer, at least down where I live anyway. Get good April, get good summer. That's purely anecdotal, my own experience there. Uh, <laughs> although having said that, didn't the Met mistake a load of rain for flying ants or something? So um, even the experts can get things wrong. So they came back to, uh, they lifted the restrictions and people were allowed to go into pubs again and they, uh, you know, all the measures and distances. But on Sunday the 5th of July, the day after the uh, Independence Day, for at least for the English pub drinking community, and of course uh, over on the other side of the pond in the United States, it is crystal clear drunk people can't socially distance, say police in England. Really? What are the odds? Police Federation Chair says revellers would not adhere to one metre plus rules as pubs opened on Saturday. Do you reckon? Especially... <laughs> Especially single people out there, you know, uh, people are doing all this dating stuff. Uh, well, put it this way, there's going to be a lot of people on Tinder that were doing the old Skype Tindering and that, that kind of thing, weren't there? This would have been effectively their first real weekend to legally and lawfully meet up. Of course, if you if you, if you you dared, it, it, it is like an episode of V for Vendetta, isn't it? The, what were their crime? Well, they went on a date officer for the first time. Under lockdown measures. It, honestly, if you look back to people in, in you know, it, New Year's Eve, if you'd have gone, this is where we're going to be in a few months' time, no one would believe you, would they? It's all for something that has a 99.7% survival rate. And, ah, yeah, this whole thing is completely over proportion to me. But anyway, my point was, I do often ramble, don't I, on these podcasts. Thank you for staying with us here, uh, beyond the news on Bexhill Radio, me and my... Um, uh, in case you haven't <laughs> figured it out by now, I'm completely unscripted. I read the articles and I give my thoughts on it. And that's it, really. Uh, there's no scripting or... I could actually probably... Li I never listen back to the podcasts. Once they're done, they're done. To be honest, I don't think I want to. 
uh, sometimes I'll listen to it and go, I said what? God. Or sometimes if it's unscripted, there's a reason that people invest in script writers. And, you know, as a comedian, I know how important it is to to make certain you get those sentences correctly to be able to get those points across succinctly. Um, and I do none of that here. It's completely freewheeling, as we would call it on my industry. So but my thoughts are to continue the rambling. This is going to be their first real opportunity to meet up and date and all that kind of stuff, isn't it? After all the Skype meetings. So the, the ones that successfully um, hit it off over the screens, this is their first chance to meet in person. So, mm, you know, let's say it continues to go well. I don't think that those sorts of people are going to adhere to the one meter rules, are they? You know, and I'm, I'm a live and let live person. You know, good luck to them. If you find love, go with it. That's what I say. Uh, but not the UK government. Keep that one metre rule if you don't live in the same household as the other person or meet in the garden. <laughs> I think didn't, at one point they suggested wear masks if you have sex. Right, OK. All right. So, yeah, uh, the, the madness of it. Madness. So um, drunk people were unable to properly socially distance. Oh, I'd never have guessed that. I've, it's, not, it's not like I've finished doing a gig talking to a load of drunk people and they come up right after the gig and have no idea of the, the idea of personal space because they're pissed out of their heads. You know, they're getting right up into your face, not in the least bit aggressively, but they're staggering all over the place. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? And I've got, and I'm not knocking it either. Like I, you know, let the people drink, let the people socialise, let the people spend their money. Uh, let's get that economy moving again. Let the people decide their own level of risk. Because I've got to say this: of all the people that I know, yes, I think one of them has had uh, a COVID death. Uh, I've had another friend that had a numerous other illnesses and his death was put down as COVID, but he was terminal before that. Again, I'm not going to be naming any names, that's out of order, but, you know, I'm, I'm just telling you that if, how do I say this, people, old people die, old and sick people die during flu season in the winter every year. So ask yourself the question, if government and media had not told you that this was an emergency would you have noticed it with your own eyes any more above and beyond the normal flu season forget what you read on the internet forget what you've seen on the tv with your own eyes and your own experiences how many of you know someone that's died of this virus or indeed had something that permanently lowered the quality of their life from this virus. Again, I'm not saying this virus is a hoax. I'm not in that camp. I'm saying it's real, but it's blown out of proportion. So the question becomes, what is the proportion you have seen with your own eyes, experienced with your own lives? You may well have seen loads of people that have got it. I don't know. I'm not you. But from my experience, I've seen little that would suggest anything above and beyond a normal flu season in my own personal experience. But everyone is different. Moving on to our next article here today. This is from the BBC News. And please bear with me while this one loads. And while it loads, yeah, I just want to say every single death is a tragedy and I'm not belittling any um, people's losses or feelings or anything like that. I am merely asking a question. That's it. So something a little bit more light-hearted now. Sir Winston Churchill, chauffeur's archive found in jigsaw box. This is 3rd of July. Telegraphs and photographs belonging sir, to Sir Winston Churchill's personal chauffeur during World War II have been discovered in a jigsaw box. Reginald Parker's items were found by a clerk on furlough during a clear-out. That's, that's such a World War II Englishman's name, isn't it? Reginald Parker. Who do I know that would be called Reginald now? 
you know I suppose it perhaps it lost um, lost a little bit of its popularity in uh, when they named one of the Quays one of them or pop it potentially increased its popularity who knows they include post office telegraphs and instructions from Downing Street and the Metropolitan Police about when and where Sir Winston must be picked up the archive owner said she previously saved the items from a skip during a house clear out in the late 1990s the collection is due to be sold by Derbyshire Police Hanson's auctioneers on 20th of July with a guide price of 250 to 350 quid. I'd have thought it would be more than that, considering, um, who you know, Churchill was one of the greatest figures of all time and all that kind of stuff. Well, um, um, I don't want to get into the whole debate of, you know, good and bad things that he did, and, you know, you've got the whole Coventry situation and all that. And so I'm not getting into that article. When I say great, I mean most well-known I mean he is he is one of the most well-known historical figures of all time isn't he speaking of well-known historical things that's a good link this is uh, Monday the 22nd of June this is the Guardian vast Neolithic circle of deep shafts found near Stonehenge prehistoric structure spanning 1.2 miles in diameter is masterpiece of engineering, say archaeologists. This is by Dahlia Alberge. I've probably butchered that name as well. A circle of deep shafts has been discovered near the World Heritage Site of Stonehenge, to the astonishment of archaeologists, who have described it as the largest prehistoric structure ever found in Britain. Ah, that's an interesting thing there. After all these years, they're fi still finding something new over there. Now, I talked before about how the uh, mainstream media tends to deride Trump, don't they? And all such things. And uh, again, he has done some things that I really don't like. Um, that when he bombed Syria and when he um, wouldn't let um, trans people into the army. I don't like those things that he did. But there's, <laughs> there's been effectively a witch hunt that's found to be a big nothing burger in terms of that Russian collusion. That... The only Russian collusion was with the Clintons and the Ukrainian One deal. Basically, the, from what I can see, the Democratic Party, all the things they accused him of doing, they did themselves. It was almost like, um, almost like they wanted to <laughs> put their, their crimes onto him. And one of these things, uh, a symptom of this, was the uh, Flynn case, which I've said on my numerous podcasts I've done with Mr. Craig Campbell over the past few months. This was always going to be the case because it just, it was, you know there was nothing in it so appeals court orders Flynn case dismissal after years long legal saga now then what do you think there is going to happen to the people doing that there's going to be a blowback of that you you don't fit someone up like that and expect that person when they get freed and justice is done that they're not going to come after you so watch this space on this podcast I think Mr Flynn is not going to take that lying down. Our next article here on Beyond the News today is from the London Guardian, sorry, the Guardian, and uh, just reeling, reeling here while I load. The This is from the Friday, August of 2012. Why? Why now? Why are you bringing up something that's eight years old? Because I like to put some pieces together. Thing: sale of London fire engine fleet to equity firm for two pounds sparks safety row. Just wanted to give you the idea that this is the government that cares a great deal about your safety. Just, just a little gentle reminder: carving up of emergency services has put national resilience and public safety at risk. Warns fire brigades union. Fire Brigade Unions warned that public safety is being put at risk by the privatisation of public services after it emerged that the owner of London and Lincoln's fire engine had sold its fleet, uh, its UK fleet, for two quid. So there you go. I wanted to bring that up now because there was all this talk of them privatising the NHS in the last couple of weeks. So just wanted a gentle reminder of what happens when you, when public money is used to fund something and then it's flogged off at a cheap rate. And, uh, you know, do the public get a dividend from that? Do they? <laughs> do they, monkeys? Of course they don't. Get nothing. So just a gentle reminder of the uh, the idea that privatisation, where 
the public pay for an entire infrastructure and then a private company goes in oh thank you for setting that up we don't have to pay anything for it now here's two quid can we have a lot cheers now go away and burn you know <laughs> i've you know dramatized that a bit but you get the idea i wanted to bring that article up here with the whole nhs thing so that is brings us to a conclusion here beyond the news i i wonder if i got through all the articles that i read off the top of the oh i didn't do the whole trump Soleimani thing i'll just basically give an idea of that good on iran for doing it lawfully i think um i don't think anyone should be executed without a trial so that's something i don't like trump did he um you know i should i don't know if Soleimani they found Soleimani guilty in his absence i actually don't know i I probably should have done a bit more research on that. Probably a good job. I didn't read out the article. But you know where I'm going with that. By all means, you know, you can find someone guilty in their absence and then rub them out. But you can't just go, I don't like that fella. Blast him off the face of the earth. Well, a trial? No, we don't need that, do we? That's wrong. And the way Iran has issued an arrest warrant for that, I think, is the way to go. So good on Iran. And again... Please don't think that I'm some kind of lover of Iran. There's a lot that they do that I dislike. But like I said, I don't go down the rabbit hole of uh, umbrellas of right or wrong and cults of personality. And I like this country like that. I judge each and every action that they do on their own merits. <laughs> and yeah, I judge the actions, not their words. This has been Beyond the News. I've been Jim Grant and will continue to be Jim Grant, hopefully all the way through to the week, so that I can do another Beyond the News for you next week. Thank you ever so much for listening. Cheers and have a good day.